to the DIY Animation Show, where we get to the heart of what it means to be an independent animator. I'm Lauren Morse. And I'm Jessica Dahl. Together with our guests, we'll explore tips, tricks, the psychological, the fundamental, and above all, how to make whatever you can with whatever you've got. From the keys to the breakdowns and everything in between. The timing's right to do it yourself. Let's get rolling! talk with the super rad Todd Favela. Oh yes. From his time at Titmouse, working on shows like China, Illinois, to developing Nick shorts, Todd has first-hand experience that tight deadlines and high-caliber 2D animation can, in fact, go hand-in-hand. Traveling through animation with his eyes and mind wide open, Todd is continually honing and building on his increasingly vast animation knowledge. And we're super excited because we're able to talk with him all about it today. Yeah, it's going to be so good. In part one of our interview, Todd talks about his on-the-job animation education, maintaining quality on tight TV deadlines, his animation insights on acting, overshoots, and face ships, trusting your gut, and the boldness of asking and where it can take you. Now let's dive into some animation goodness. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. Whether you write screenplays, children's books or novels, or draw storyboards, comics or animate, you are a storyteller. And every storyteller understands that turning our lofty thoughts into a finished work often feels like an uphill climb. The Storyteller Summit, an online course from the Oatly Academy, will provide guidance from some of the entertainment industry's best teachers. We'll help you master fundamental concepts like developing your protagonist, building a believable world, constructing a compelling plot, finding your voice, and fighting writer's block. And since stories are meant for others to enjoy, we'll also show you how to grow your audience online. Subscribe to the Storyteller Summit today and get instant access to our extensive and growing library of video lessons, our supportive community forums and Facebook group, downloadable worksheets, monthly Oatly Academy live sessions, and story groups that meet throughout the month where you can ask questions, share ideas, geek out about story, and find a great circle of trust. Your story is waiting. Sign up for the Storyteller Summit at oatleyacademy.com forward slash go forward slash DIY Summit. Also, if you enroll today through that link, Jess and I will receive a small commission, which will go to support us, our careers, and the DIY animation show. Again, that's oatleyacademy.com forward slash go forward slash DIY Summit. That's S-U-M-M-I-T. day i'd like to ask you when did you feel the call of animation i've always had like an interest in production art i didn't necessarily go to school for animation right off the bat uh, i actually went to study psychology and 
cool. learn art so I can figure out a way to, you know, merge the two. Because I wasn't sure, like, about this stuff being a job. So I was trying to figure out, like, I like psychology and I like art, but I don't like gallery art and I don't like uh, graphic design. So I'm just going to go ahead and figure out a way to incorporate making art for psychologists. And maybe like my sophomore, junior year, when uh, I was taking art classes and just maxing out like all my electives that my teachers were like, you should probably pursue this. Like you have like a natural thing for this, you know, like they're like, I can't describe it, but. You should go back and look at like rough animations of Beauty and the Beast and like old 90s films and study off that. So I was like, all right, cool. So uh, I started getting more into concept art. It was like a weird transition period where I was kind of like, uh, I don't like where I was going with uh, psychology. And like I appreciated art, but couldn't find like my art niche. Yeah, so I just I quit my job. And I was in school, so I'm not advising anyone to quit their job right now. <laughs> uh, I just had that luxury because I was going to college and uh, I just noticed that I was always watching the special features of The Incredibles, Transformers, uh, you know, Afro Samurai, reading comics. I'm like, I should probably get into this. It seems to be like what I'm into. So I started going <laughs> into that. And I think the staple for sure, like I needed to do animation was uh, I watched Wreck-It Ralph. And I'd gone to Disney studio before and I saw like all the art and I was like, I need to be here. I need to like work in a studio and then seeing the movie. I don't know. It was just, like a moment where I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to animate. I want to you know, do this. And it was just kind of a turning point. That's when I started focusing on going on this career path that I chose. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> so you work at Titmouse for, it seems like a good while. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So like I started off as an intern and as an intern, like you're, you're granted access to like the server, you know, you're like the new kid on the block. You're like, Hey, you want to get lunch together? Like, do you want to do this? Like, Hey, do you need help with this? Do you need help with that? And they're kind of like, no, not right now. Like <laughs> I'm deadline. And eventually, eventually they budge and they like, they give you like small things like here, can you like organize this or like put these in their files? When I had downtime, I utilized that to my advantage. So I went to the server and I got familiar with, well, the first thing they give you when you're an intern or when you're first working on anything mm -hmm. is they give you a, a Bible. Mm -hmm. And with uh, my first show was China, Illinois. So I had a Bible, which is maybe like 20, 30 pages. And it was mostly like acting, how you act out a character, how they pose, what kind of character they are. Uh, the weight of a character, which is something I've noticed uh, consistently in animation, is that the way characters treat weight, like it, it varies from show to show. So something with China, it was very grounded in reality. So if a character sat down, they didn't sit down with like 90 degree posture. They like sat down, they like rested their elbows on their, their knees or they like lean on a table. Very subtle things like that was kind of what they emphasized these are real people. That's kind of what we're going for. It's like they're like college kids. So give them poses that college kids would have. Like they're not going to sit like they're at the dinner table, you know, just eating and having like a cool thing. And it's like, no, they're they're around just having a drink, you know, talking with their friends. They're going to be like leaning on tables. They're going to do stuff like that. That's cool. I, I never really thought about that in regards to weight. Like the only time I've really noticed that, and I think kind of subconsciously is with a lot of like uh, flash animated things where they've been uh, tweened and things like that. But like those characters, like they feel a lot lighter than again, something like China or like a Chimay thing or something yeah. like that, where <laughs> <laughs> like, like it just, uh, you feel the weight as the characters are walking. And uh, you said that you animated those characters on China. 
On China, I was a, I did cleanup, I did a couple props, and then near the end, I started animating a few characters. Near the end of the run, Titmouse picked up Turbo, the DreamWorks cartoon. Oh, yeah. So a lot of the characters from, or a lot of the animators from China moved on to Turbo, because there was, there was kind of like a transition phase between Motor City and their next big project, so a lot of animators from, you know, Motor City, the storyboard artists from Motor City, like a lot of the people hopped on to China so they could stay within the company. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what happened with me. When your project's up, there's usually like an opening for other projects that have positions. So they'll say, hey, like, you know, we're going to go work on this cartoon you want to come with. Or like a director will be like, hey, you know, now this is ended, I'm going to be jumping on to a pilot or a short. Like, do you want to work with me? So there's like a, there's a bit of opportunity that happens when you move shows. So what happened with me was that Turbo had started up, and so they were taking artists from China that were on kind of like hiatus, mm -hmm. but working, and they pulled them onto Turbo. So a lot of the cleanup artists from China moved on to animation since they're familiar with pretty much everything. Almost every cleanup artist that was working on China became an animator, and the background artists, and I believe... A character design assistant moved to clean up. And since, you know, there was no one to fill the gaps. And since as an intern, I was going through all the files, looking how people worked and, you know, getting to know how the how their production ran. Uh, I asked our producer, you know, hey, can, did you mind if I took a test? Like I graduate soon. So, you know, if you guys need hands, I'm all for it. So he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. So I took a test. I sent it to him. And I believe the same day he gave me an offer. He just said, nice. like, hey, cool, like, do you want to start? I'm like, yeah, sure. And he was like, cool, I'll start you on Monday. I think it went on a Wednesday, and they were just wrapping up. I'm like, uh, can you wait, like, a week? Because I graduate next week. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure, yeah, I'll wait. Like, you know, <laughs> That's cool. Everything's cool. So, <laughs> I kind of had that ceremony that I kind of need to go to, and there's finals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what happened. I was just like, hey, I kind of, like, this is, like, my finals week, and I just did this test, and... You know, our ceremony is going on. Like, is there a way I can, you know, come back, like, maybe in a week? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, man, definitely. So, you know, everyone kind of got their vacation after graduating to, like, you know, draw and find themselves. And I was like, yeah, I can't party. I have to, I have to go. <laughs> I just come back. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got extremely lucky. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know. It's like, good, good problem to have. That, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Like, I just want to hear all about it. And especially since China was already, you know, kind of established and all of that. How did you feel in regards to character expression? Like, did you find that the weight was a really, really good tool for getting character personality and acting across? Or did it take some getting used to? A lot of it helped that we had, like, really great layout artists. They gave us the keyframes and they acted it out themselves and, you know, put those poses in there. And we had that to reference cool. and, you know, build off of. The more you make a character feel real, the more it feels real to you. I guess the easier it is to animate it. So, like, on China, there was a, there was a character that was very... Uh, he was very tall and, like, really big. He was, like, a really big dude. Mm -hmm. So in all his poses, he was always, like, just stomping everywhere. And, like, when he sat down, he took up the entire space and kind of, like, you know, put an elbow on a couch. And he talked through his, like, hands, but still leaning. Uh -huh. So he still got, like, he still got the character because, you know, like, that's how he is. He's just a big dude and, you know, he needs to take a break. So he would, take, like, he would talk and then, like, lean over and then, like, use his hand to, like, talk. You know that mobster thing where, like, they talk with, like, their hands, like, pinched and they kind of like move it forward in front of your face yeah yeah yeah, oh, yeah yeah like that so like there was a scene where like can you do something like that like because he was like saying like you have to do this and like 
the dialogue and the way he acted that out with his character was perfect. Oh, that's brilliant. When I got to animate on that stuff, uh, animated typ- typically like more younger characters. Mm-hmm. I animated a guy like loaded gun, so it was just like very like very brutish, you know, just like fast, and you know, he just puts a clip in the gun, it's like let's go. And then I animated a girl, and then a guy like pulling a lady, um, a few pigs. So near the end of China, that's when you know it was, it was all over the place because you know it was like the end of production, deadlines were like everywhere, so everyone was doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't get to animate that much on China, but going forward, I did. Like I worked on the Nicktoons uh, or the Nick Shorts, I believe. I believe Titmouse is one of the studios that you can develop your Nick short at. So I got to work on a lot of uh, Nick shorts for them. And then I worked on a, I worked on a pilot for Fox that hasn't aired yet. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, I was an animator on that. I animated, uh, they gave me, gave me a lot of weird animations. Like they're like this, I think you'll, you'll understand this. And it was like a crazy killer doll that came out and was like, you know, we love you. I'm like, Oh great. Perfect. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that was cool, like animating a doll, because they're like very like, like it's basically a doll that came to life. So you had to like, you know, make it feel like a doll. So like it couldn't be too structured because it was, you know, like this clumsy floppy doll. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't have it like too floppy. Otherwise, like, what are you doing? It's, he's not like a rag doll. Like he just came to life. Wow. You know? It sounds like you just, again, like he animated so many characters. Like that's such a big change. Did you have to make transitions between those characters fairly quickly? Or did you have to get into sort of different mindsets for each character and how they move? Sometimes. Um, yeah. Usually like when you're, when you're assigned something, they just give you scenes. Just uh, you kind of just act it out. And you, you know the characters and how they are. Because you'll watch the storyboards and you watch, basically watch the entire show as you're going along. So you kind of know like how someone's going to react to something and like if they're like you know an angry person if they're like an uneasy person so they're like know how how to make them express themselves yeah it was more of an adjustment to transition between productions so when i was animating on china i knew kind of how everyone did their stuff and like you don't necessarily have to take a break and then get into like another character you have to like just go at it they'll just give you a scene with like different characters and you just animate it based on like what you know about the character Mm-hmm. So from China, I went on to, it was called Face Face. I think it's now called Face Face. <laughs> and so I was animating a guy and his dog spaceship. And the way they interacted with each other was a lot more like squash and stretch, extreme poses, extreme animation. Mm-hmm. And like they were like jumping and kind of like going all over the place. So that was a bit of a change. Yeah, so I guess there's more of a transitional phase and maybe like a couple couple days to a week of getting used to this new style of animation. Yeah, there's more of a, it's, it's more of like the transition between productions where you're hopping on, you know, a different team, usually with the same people, but you'll be approaching things a lot differently as you go from production to production. That's usually where you'd probably transition the most between characters and how you approach character acting. Mm-hmm. Do you, like, do you have to sort of figure that out for yourself with, like, kind of the materials that they give you? Or do you find that, like, talking with your crew members and teammates, which one sort of helps you out more? Or which one was uh, more available to you during that transition period? It depends on the project. Uh, usually, like, in the Bible that they give you, they'll give you acting notes. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to, like, go, go off that. And then your director will watch your animation and then make notes, maybe even do a drawover. Or just act it out while you're in your meeting, because uh, when you're when you're done animating this thing, you throw it into dailies, and then you collectively come together as a group and watch what you animated. And 
your director gives you notes and everyone kind of points out like any little flaws, uh, anything that's not working, that's not reading, mm -hmm. things like that. And then I guess acting wise, maybe I would say like the Bradley Lee shows that I was on were given more direction as opposed to when I was working on the Nick shorts where they were like, be creative, like have fun with the scene. So like we got sure. to do, we got to have fun with what we're working with and post things out and do things sort of the way we wanted or like just go with our gut. Yeah. And our director would make like maybe minor notes uh, or give suggestions and we'd incorporate it and then kind of collaboratively like make a fun scene. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and just like the con like the idea of like the spaceship was made from his DNA. Like it's just like it's it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so like whether in that or something else, in the Nick shorts in particular, do you have any particular favorite scenes that you worked on or acted out or anything like that? For Face Face, I would say like my favorite scene was uh, when he sneezed. Because I kind of animated that entire shot out. Mm -hmm. And uh, my director went in and did a pass and just made it like 10 times better. Um, <laughs> Directors have a like, way of like, doing that. <laughs> Yeah, they have like they. I guess just just experience and knowing things, and it's like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'll I'll fix this. Mm -hmm. um, he sneezes and flies out, and like the butt comes to the screen. I'm mm -hmm. not. It's typically not my humor, but it was just funny. It's kind of going back to like that what I grew up watching. I'm like, cool. I'm the person that did this. I made myself laugh when I was like eight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that That's was, just the best like, feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's always great when you show it to like colleagues around you as well. And you're just, you haven't sort of set it up or anything. You're just kind of like, yeah, just, just take a look at this for me. And if they start laughing as well, you're just like, yes, yes. <laughs> done it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to ask, because you had so much freedom on the Nick ones. Did you find yourself sort of using any cheats or like particular techniques that you really loved? I think with that, with the uh, with the Nick shorts, we were able to overshoot. That's something that that can add to a scene. Like if you do it too much, it could be too much. But in character acting, especially if it's a quick overshoot, it can really add to a character. Yeah. I did that a lot in in the Nick shorts. There's a scene in Face Face where he's like running towards the exit, and then he like skids because there's like a light that's on the ground that like he's like ooh, so like he he skids and when he stops. I had him overshoot forward and then come back down and settle. I felt like that added to the scene as opposed to like, you know, stopping and then like looking at the light. I would guess like realistically, like coming to a full stop and then looking at the light cutely. I felt like the quick stop and overshoot and then settle really added more to that scene than approaching it realistically. Mm -hmm. And same, same thing with being a hoon is there was a, I may, I may have stretched her legs out a little too bit, but like there's a scene where she sees the, the banana sandals and she like, squats and then shoots up and kind of settles and that was the approach i wanted to take towards that scene where she like kind of sees the thing she's like oh, and then you know jumps up like you know kind of like a kid like when they get excited like oh yeah here we go yeah it's so effective when you watch it too because it's like it's like there's this yeah. really really big build up and then oh, and it stops and you're just like what no <laughs> no i was thinking of the part where like he skids up to the line it's there's such like a great build up of energy and then like that quick release is so satisfying. Just, ugh, mm -hmm. gosh. Did you use that overshooting a lot? Because it's really, really cool. Or did you pick and choose where to put that in your shorts and when to use it? Yeah, I picked and chose where I put it in because I felt like if I did it too much, it'd be like, you know, a little bit of overacting. Because mm -hmm. you also have to like take into consideration, like there's like some subtle acting that works better than, you know, making something like very, very cartoony. How did you sort of choose the placement then of when you wanted to use it? 
typically when I, when there was an action that was I felt was quick, then I'd go ahead and use it. Like really mess with easing in and easing out, and then like you know overshooting and doing that kind of deal. Like just whatever whatever felt right. Mm-hmm. I would say like go with your gut. If it feels right, do it. And if it kind of feels like it's a little too much, then have someone look at it. I say that because sometimes you feel like, you know, like, oh, maybe I'm doing this like a little too much. And if someone else sees it, like, oh my God, it's cool. Like, I wouldn't have have thought to do that. Like, don't cheat yourself out of something in case it was right to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. So trust, trust yourself. If you don't feel it, have a second pair of eyes. And then if they agree with you, then go ahead and change the scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that is like a golden nugget right there. That's so good. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yeah. Trust yourself. <laughs> Follow your heart. Follow your heart. <laughs> There's something that Jess and I always end up saying one way or another in the show. It's true. <laughs> uh, something that I've heard about uh, working there is that it's really intense and intensive in the sense of turnarounds. And so I've heard that you just you have to get a lot of work done really fast. And they you know and they produce quality work. Did you have to adapt to that workflow at all? How has that affected the way that you work? Uh, today. Oh, so uh, the rumors are true. We do have to. <laughs> now, um, from what I've heard from other studios and from what I've seen from other studios, I think they do have uh, typically tighter deadlines than others do. Maybe a bit, bit higher quotas and the, the style. You're, you're always adapting. It's, it's true. You have to adapt uh, really quick. I, I would say for any studio, you have to adapt your style and be more fluid to understand like what their what their workflow is. Mm-hmm. But it didn't really uh, change anything for me other than taking everything to completion. I I was one of those types where I would work on a few projects at a time and just kind of like alternate between them. And I still kept that workflow at Titmouse, which I think helped. So like if I were working, if I was working on one scene, I'd give it like an hour and then swap out another scene for the next hour and then swap out another scene for the next hour and then go back between those three scenes. And like once one scene was finished, I'd start a new one and then go back. Like for me, it was a way where I wasn't like getting too focused on something. I guess like, you know, you know when you paint, you kind of like paint the same part over and over again. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like looking at something through fresh eyes, like repeatedly. I think that was uh, my way of uh, adjusting to the studio's expectations and what they wanted out of their crew. I know other people had other flows, like they they just take one scene to completion or take like all their scenes to lines. And then like at the end of the week, start coloring everything. So like they save like the easier parts uh, till the end um i did both i was just like whatever felt right and whatever i was doing like if i was like i feel like coloring today and lining and finishing completion i just went ahead and did that there were there were times where uh, i would get stuck and just so that you don't throw off production it's best to like ask like a supervisor or a director if you have a problem and they can usually like they have someone you know like i was saying before like they have so much experience with production and things that go wrong that they have like you know the easiest solutions to things that you don't stress about. So I guess a good rule or a good thing to know is to ask in case you're struggling. Like if you're new to a studio and you're, you're adjusting to like their deadlines, like maybe you're a little bit slower and you know, you want to be a little faster. It's good to like talk to someone to like, Hey, like, what do you do to like get things done a little quicker? They might have like a, a trick or a certain thing where, you know, they're like, oh, all you have to do is this. And they introduce you to like a new tool where it helps you out immensely. And that's, that's kind of how I went about it. Uh, Since, yeah, since I was interning, I got to experience what they were going through and know firsthand, like how the, how the production worked. 
So it wasn't as much as a shock to me as maybe like other artists coming in fresh. So I knew what they wanted. I knew how the files worked. And I guess, I guess just being informed and knowing your program, your craft and how things work, just make everything a little more manageable. No, that's really, really good. Was there anything that, that you could ask and get really good tips from like a higher up? Did you get any feedback like that that really helped you out a lot uh, alongside your already being familiar with the filing system and stuff? Yeah. So when you work on a scene, you'll have problems that pop up. You might be missing a note that wasn't given to you. So always pay attention to like stuff that goes on in meetings. That'll help you a lot just so you know like where things are going, like where scenes are being like held up. And then there's been times where I've been animating and they make a they make a change and they say like, oh, we need this thing changed. So can you swap out this with that? Uh, so it'd be like a model change. So I'd go in, change the model, but then the rest of the model stays the same. So, oh my goodness, I have a 500 frame animation that's due like within the week. And I have this like completely new animation need to add to this. And it's going to take a while to swap out everything piece by piece. Oh no. So <laughs> what, what, what did you so, do? <laughs> I just like, uh, well, uh, I kind of like passively, like just vented. I was like, to a friend of mine, I was like, they just, uh, they changed the scene. So I needed like, since the scene was already completed, I have to go ahead and like redo this entire scene. I'm just like, I don't think I can get it done because the deadline was still the same. And it's like, hey, can just do this. And so he like gets the character, cuts the keyframes, like the specific keyframes that changed mm -hmm. and popped them in and then showed me like a way to tween this thing out so that the entire thing got fixed. Oh, no, that, that's just, that's so good. So was it just like focusing on those keys themselves and then just like the simple tween between those keys? Can you go a little, can you describe a little more like what it was? It was like a character sitting down and they changed the acting and the symbols were named something completely different. Mm -hmm. So what I had to do was start a new layer, copy my original animation or my original keyframe or the original keyframes with the poses that were in the animation and I pushed those in there and I basically swapped keyframes mm -hmm. and then used a classic tween to tween out every single bit of the character onto the new animation. Oh. So instead of having to reline and recolor everything, the classic tween took the initial symbol and replaced every single symbol following it. That's amazing. <laughs> That's super good. So is that in Flash? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Flash has its moment. <laughs> That's really good. There's yeah. also like a find and replace or like renaming your symbol. They have a new system now with CC where you can like rename a symbol and keep originals and oh, cool. somehow like manage your animation. Oh, that that's, way. Cool. that's cool. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good way to like, we run into a problem and you know, it's like you have these things going on. It's best to like, you know, ask and be like, Hey, do you know an easier way to do this? Cause you never know there, there could be an easier way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. that way sounds a lot more manageable than cleaning up and re-inking and coloring 500 frames of animation. <laughs> and <Yeah>. that, oh. <laughs> wow, dude, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. has such a variety of experience throughout his animation journey that, when faced with an animation dilemma, he understands the importance of both listening to his own gut and reaching out to others. What about you? Do you feel you can trust your instincts? Or do you enjoy asking people for their input? 
We'd love to hear. So come to oatleyacademy.com forward slash go forward slash DIYA7 and share your thoughts in the comments below or comment on anything else in this episode that you've enjoyed. Next time in part two of Todd's interview, a veritable smorgasbord of DIY nuts and bolts gold. Why, yes. (laughs) I'm twirling my mustache as I speak. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Todd shares his favorite things about DIY animation. And the one most vital thing Todd thinks a DIY animator needs. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the DIY Animation Show. Yeah, don't forget to follow your heart. And have fun animating. We'll see you next time in part two. Woohoo! Bye, guys! The DIY Animation Show is a production of the Oatly Academy of Visual Storytelling. We're your hosts, Jessica Dahl and Lauren Morse. Our producer is Chris Oatley. Our assistant producers are Anya Marcos and Edua Ebeneva. Our mix engineer is Z. John Yan. Our theme music was provided by Asia Flux. Subscribe at DIYanimation.show. Find more art and story podcasts featuring insights from some of the most inspiring voices in animation, games, vis effects, comics, and children's books at friendsofdiya.com. We'll see you next time. Here, Lauren, just do like a slew of sound effects and then we'll just, you know, splice it in, like whichever one works. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> So let's dive into some animation goodness. Boing. (laughs) That was jumping off the diving board. I thought it sounded like a bouncy firecracker. (laughs) Oh my gosh.